tacos. Just go on ahead and touch them and say street tacos. Now touch your neighbor and say amen. We're going to eat some street tacos tonight. It's going to be some carne asada. It's going to be some chicken. I don't even know what they, all they put on it, but I know it's good. So 7 o'clock, come on. Hey, if you want to help with that tonight, show up at 3.30. We could use your help. We're going to be stringing lights. We're going to be um, putting out chairs and tables and all that stuff. And the best way you can help is just pray it don't rain. We need it to not rain. All right. 1 Corinthians is the book that we're in. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Ben. I am one of uh, the elders here at this church. And I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Frontline Shawnee. Very glad that you guys are with us. Uh, I'm going to be blazing a trail today because we are starting a series on a book of the Bible uh, in the New Testament. It's one of the letters that Paul wrote. Paul was an apostle. Paul was a guy that was sent by God to plant churches and help them grow. And Paul is writing a letter, like he did a lot of times, to one of his churches. He wrote, uh, maybe you've heard of Ephesians. Maybe you've heard of Colossians. Maybe you've heard of Galatians. Those are all letters that he wrote to churches in those towns. Letter to Ephesians was a letter to the church in Ephesus, Colossae, Galatia. This is 1 Corinthians. There's two that we have. Letters that Paul wrote to the church in a town called Corinth. And we are starting about a year's worth of study on this particular book. And let me tell you something. 1 Corinthians is wild. <laughs> it's wild. These people are wilding out. If, if there's anybody that's been in church, listen to sermons at all, you will know that your pastor will straight up tell you, like, maybe growing up, whatever, you probably heard about 1 Corinthians more than any other church. They did some crazy stuff. And Paul is writing a letter to them to try and right the ship. And why does this matter for us today? Well, there's several reasons. You're going to learn a lot about uh, why it matters particularly for us today and why this isn't just stuff that was happening in a church a long time ago. But one of the reasons is because of the question that you're asking that I'm asking. If you're not asking, you should be asking. And that is for everybody in the room, for the church, church, church person that knows all the church language that has done watch so many veggie tales, that knows exactly about a cucumber with a hairbrush song and all that stuff. About 10 people in the room. I really thought you guys would go there with me, man. Maybe I'm just that old. I don't know. Um, for those, <laughs> thank you, Pat. For those of you that know about all the Christian stuff, the Christian world culture, you sing the songs, you know all the songs, whatever, that person along with the person who just doesn't know a lot. And every uh, week, by God's grace, we have multiple types of people in this room. And there are people in here that we're so proud and blessed by you to be here that you're just not familiar with God. You're not familiar with church. You don't know. You grew up in Oklahoma, maybe, and you just don't know about church world. Well, one, you're brave for being here. Thank you. I'm very proud of you for being here. There's a question that both of those people are asking or should be asking, and it's this question, quite simply. Why are you here? Why are you in this building today? Why are you at church? Why do we care about church? Why do I devote my life to this? Why did Paul? Paul died for this. This man that we're reading today, God wrote the Bible, this letter through Paul. He died for this. Why? Is it really just because we just grew up like that and this is the Bible Belt or this is whatever and we went to church and all our friends go to church and... That's what we do, man. It's just cultural. It's social. We're here because, you know, 
You're supposed to be here, I guess. Why are you here? Why do we do all this? Why do we, what is this table about? What, there's bread and <laughs> grape juice and wine. By the way, when we come to communion, just make sure you know they look the same, but they are labeled differently. I'm just let, warning to you guys. Why do we do it? Why am I up here? Why do we sing these songs? Why does all of this happen? Why do we work so hard for the church? Why does it matter? I think it's the most important question we can ask today because it does matter. And this book, this 1 Corinthians, this year's worth of time that we're going to spend in it is going to help us. If we can plug in, man, if we can keep our heart and our head open to learn from it, to read it, it's going to answer so many questions as to why we do church and also how we do church. There's uh, several things in this book specifically. How to be married, how to be single. Uh, talks about divorce. Talks about how to treat each other and live together in unity. Uh, what to do with people who act crazy. First Corinthians talks about that. And then also what to do when we act crazy. What does acting crazy even mean? Who is the Holy Spirit? What are the gifts of the Spirit? Why do we take the Lord's Supper or communion or the table? There's so many more. It's all here. Uh, it's safe to say that we need 1 Corinthians today. So I want to ask you to do a few things. I want to ask you in the room today, commit to showing up to church. Be here. Don't say that you're here but not really be here. Be here. Let's be here together. Commit to reading 1 Corinthians. Open up the Bible. Read it. Let it get into your bones. The Bible talks about the word being life to us. Let's let it be life to us. And then finally, there's a book that I want to recommend that you guys get uh, by a guy named Andrew Wilson. Um, there it is. Uh, this is called 1 Corinthians for You. 1 Corinthians for You. It's not too expensive. Um, if you need help purchasing it, we would love to buy one for you. Uh, this guy's a, a, a great uh, theologian, but writes, writes a, a small book that basically um, gives you multiple synopsis and in-depth synopsis of what 1 Corinthians is in layman's terms. All right, let me jump right into it. If there are note takers in the room, all the type A people that love the word taking notes, just love that, you are gonna love today's sermon. But I wanna invite you, even if you're not a note taker, which is me, um, please, let's take notes today because we got a lot to cover. This will serve as an overview of what is happening in this book and it'll help us for the rest of our time together throughout the next year. Let me give you some context. Context is important. Context just simply means who is this being writ written to? Why is it being written? Where are they? What type of people they are? So we're gonna talk about the city of Corinth. Corinthians would have been given the name for the people that lived in Corinth. City of Corinth was a major Greek city. Um, however, it was destroyed. It was always in conflict with the Romans and Rome and Greece. And it was destroyed in 146 BC. And for over 100 years, Corinth was a ghost town. 100 years worth of destruction, Corinth was a ghost town. But the problem with it was, was that Corinth was located in a major trade intersection. And so 100 or so years later, Caesar, the ruler of Rome, said, we really need that spot, and there's ruins there, and there's just a few people, so let's repopulate it. Let's bring it back to life. Let's do some urban renewal in Corinth because we need it as a trade route. So what he did, which I think was genius, 
He took all of the, the freed Roman slaves and he told those freed slaves, go and sort of inhabit that place in Corinth. And he gave them land, gave them property, and gave them some money to go and do it. Ex-Roman slaves, each person a bit of property and land. Now the city. The city has been sort of rejuvenated, revived. It had been 100 years dead. We got all this influx. It starts to grow really fast. Because why? Because it was in the middle of a trade route. So now, because of its location and the dedication of the Romans, Corinth quickly becomes one of the wealthiest cities in all of Rome. And it housed some of the most diverse communities. Shopping, trade, business, art, food, restaurants, entertainment. Corinth was it. And it became it overnight. Amassing, thriving metropolis. Gordon Fee is a commentator who has written a really good commentary on 1 Corinthians, but here's how he describes it. Corinth was at once, get this, the New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas of the ancient world. Who's been to New York in this room? Who's been to Los Angeles? Who's been, I'm just kidding, I don't even want to know who's gone to Las Vegas. <laughs> Imagine those three towns molded together into one. Now I want you to think for a minute with me. Corinth was a destination, man. This is where it was like, let's go, let's get it together. We're gonna take a weekend trip, we're going to Corinth. Imagine the smells. Imagine the restaurants, imagine the parts of town that you could go in, every type of ethnic group. I love food, man, I'm all for it. I'm Cajun to the core, I love Cajun food, which also means that I love every type of food. If you put me in front of a soul food buffet, I'm gonna make a fool out of myself, more than likely. I love soul food, I love all of it. I love Thai food, I love Asian food, all types of Asian food, Indian food, you name it. What I, the first thing I imagined if I would have went to Corinth would have been like, okay, we need to make a plan for every, if we get out of here without getting to every type of restaurant, it's gonna be a bad trip. Shopping, people all over the place, culture everywhere, music, sounds, just the sounds of a city. I mean, this place was amazing. It was amazing. Every type of thing you could ever wanna do was in Corinth. They provided everything for you. You wanna worship a God? You can do that. Multiple temples, like temples on top of temples for every type of God. As a matter of fact, they were very spiritual people. They had 26, just known, just only 26 found temples that were exclusively to the many gods. Now think about that. Temples everywhere, 26 of them said, you can come and worship any God you want in this temple. This is just a temple of worship. Multiple cultures were experienced, all types of restaurants and communities and areas of town. Corinth was the type of place you go to see it all. It was the type of place you go and you say, you know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Everything was there, man. Every type of person are you a sports person? Corinth had the second largest 
sports gathering in the world next to the Olympic Games? How about food? Of course, everywhere. Shopping, everywhere. Sex? Rampant. Available. Championed in Corinth. Aristophanes, which, who was an ancient writer, sort of documented um, like a lot of historians did back then, he coined a term called Corinthiazo, Corinthiazo, which literally means this for that time, to act like a Corinthian and commit fornication. It was so rampant, it was so accepted that they coined a term Sex was so worshipped in Corinth that temples allowed prostitutes and employed them. Now think about that. Houses of worship that worshipped sex so much that part of the church staff was prostitution. Corinth was a place that accepted all in any ideals, all values. It made tolerance and acceptance their city virtue. They worshiped the idea of spirituality and that boy did they worship it, temples everywhere. What do you worship? You can come here. They worship pleasure, they worship the human experience. And this is how you get a culture of people that combine both sacred spaces like temples and complete indulgence like prostitution and drunkenness. Nothing was off limits in Corinth. Everything was available. Any conviction or lack thereof, any way you wanted to live, everything was not only tolerable but celebrated. Corinth was the city with no rules except one. You don't tell me how to live my life and I won't tell you how to live yours. Sound familiar? Within the city with no virtue or conviction a people within a people was planted. Paul planted a church in that town. And you know how? Because God told him to. A church is a city within a city, set apart, not of the city, but definitely in the city. And you know what? Definitely for the city. In that crazy place, in that melting pot, of all kind of idolatry and brokenness and confusion, you have the church of the living God. People who are serving as a kingdom outpost in craziness. Paul, in Acts 18, we see Paul plant this church. He stood, uh, he stayed there for a year and a half, really watering and serving and setting the church up to where they could go and do what he expected and what we would expect as well, go and evangelize their neighbors, give them the gospel, this beautiful thing, this thing that is not like any other thing that you are dead in your trespasses, but God has made you alive. And you know why? Because he is good. That beautiful gospel, stay here, plant yourself here, get to know your neighbors, tell them all about this gospel, evangelize. Paul leaves after a year and a half, and what happened was evangelism happened, but it wasn't the Christians evangelizing their neighbors, the city was evangelizing the church. And inside the church now you have too much of Corinth, too much of Corinth in the church. One author said, Christ was in them, but also too much of Corinth was in them as well. 
He can trust them to keep the faith. He hears all of this craziness about Corinth, man, and it is crazy. We're about to get into it. So Paul starts to write letters. What we have today, First and Second Corinthians, First Corinthians today, is for sure the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. The first one they just rejected, and he makes mention of it in chapter 5, about a letter that he did write. And the arrogant Corinthians said, nope, to your first one, he writes a second letter to the church, which is the first one's lost on us. God, through Paul, is now going to be reshaping and regrowing his church's identity in a crazy, confused, hyper-spiritual, but not Christ-centered world. His church's identity needs to be re-rooted in him, in Christ, and not rooted in the world around them. All right, I've got three big themes that I'm gonna run through pretty quickly for you. The first is this. This might sound obvious, but it's important. The church belongs to God. The church belongs to God. Let me explain what I mean by that. This seems familiar. This seems like an eye roll type of moment. We know, Pastor, that this is the church of God. We get it. We grew up in Oklahoma, by the way. We, you know, we don't been to church. <laughs> but it's amazing how quickly and often we forget this fact. And what I mean by it is this. The church, which is you and I and everyone in it, and the church in Corinth belong to God, which means this. This is not a social gathering. This is also not a cultural gathering. This is also not a political gathering. What I mean by those three things, church is not the place that we go ultimately because we want friends. I think that's a great way to get in the door. I think that's wonderful. I want friends. I'm a, I'm a, a very friend type guy. I hang out with people all the time. My friends are my fellow elders and other friends, I get it, man. You might be here because of friends today, but the ultimate goal is not for this to be a social deal. The goal is for you to know God and to pursue him. That's the goal. I'm not your social director. And you should be really glad. <laughs> I would be terrible. It's also not a cultural gathering. Meaning that we don't gather together because we look and sound and smell and work and like everybody else. It's not just your culture. We don't just go to a place because my culture is surrounded here. These are, this, is my, this is a cultural, that's not what it is. Church is not a social gathering. It's not a cultural gathering. And it's not a place you go because you think the pastor might vote like you. It's not a political gathering. It's not a place that you go to rally the political troops. That's not what church is. It's also not a place to get our financial and communal needs met. Can we meet needs in the church? Yes, and we should. We should try to do that. Man, I, I don't know if we're good at it, but in this church, we really talk a lot about trying to meet the needs of the community. That's what we want to do. And the best that we can, we want to meet your needs as well. But that's not what the point is. The church belongs to God. It is about him. It is for him. You are his people. He bought you. You belong to him. If you are a Christian today, you belong to God. You are here. This exists for God, to know him, to pursue him. That's what the church is. 
Corinth had turned the church into just another city temple. The church was all about them. No conviction, no true pursuit of God. They'd most likely just ignored Paul's first letter, which there were probably five letters total. We have two of them. Paul was working, man. And they were functioning under the idea that church was primarily about them. They worshiped other idols. There were divisions over who was more spiritual in the church. Divisions enough to make its way to Paul for him to know about, man, the church is really divided because this dude thinks he's more spiritual than this dude and this person thinks he's got more spiritual gifts than this person. And, and then the worship service is chaotic, which is what was happening in Corinth because people would stand up. And you know how sometimes you'll be in a prayer service with somebody and they'll, and they'll pray, but really they're trying to impress God with their knowledge? So all of a sudden the prayer turns into a Sunday school lesson. That was happening in church, standing up. One guy over here says, I've got a word from God. And another one, I've got a word from God. And all they were really trying to do was just make it about them. Look how smart I am. Look how articulate I am. Nobody in the meantime was using their heart. Divisions over who belonged to which person. I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. Church was about them. They forgot the church belongs to God. It is his. We experience this a lot in our church today. The primary point of church becomes less about knowing God and growing towards him with people who want to know God and grow towards God. And it becomes more about is what have you done for me lately? How are you meeting my needs? I mean, the amount of conversations I have. And it's not just our church. I mean, this is just in general. I feel this in my own life sometimes. What have you done for me lately? Are you providing for me? Are you church? Are you church leader? Are you giving me all of, are you meeting all of my needs according to your riches and glory? I expect my neighbors, my friends, the church, my leaders to meet my needs according to their riches and glory. Well, the Bible says that God does that. Because if you come to me and try to get me to meet your needs according to my riches, according to my bank account, that's about $27, $28, $29, 30 maybe worth, you know, any given day worth of riches. I got a little bit more than that, but that's not much more. You get my point. The church belongs to God. We turn into how is the church meeting my needs, which means we have opinions, we armchair quarterback, we church hop, as opposed to rooting ourselves down. Church belongs to God. Let me give you a few quick ways. First is this, God is the source of authority. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul called by God. I am not here for me. I am not here because I'm articulate. I am not here because I'm the best preacher. I am here because God sent me. And God loves you, therefore he sent me. Second, our identity is in God. I love this. In verse two, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Crazy Corinthians, Paul says, you are sanctified. You are sanctified, called to be saints together with all of those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. His identity is in God. Your identity is in God. No matter how crazy you feel or act, the reality is this. You are God's. 
And there's a whole bunch of other people who are called to their identity in God as well, not just here today. In Acts 18, Paul had, was planting church in Corinth. He was surrounded by opposition, as you can imagine, probably a little scared. I mean, this is a very tough man, Paul. He'd have been through a lot. He uh, almost dies several times, and ultimately his, he does lose his life for the gospel. Paul, in Acts 18, God comes to Paul and says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. That's God telling Paul, I have many in Corinth who are my people. This thing belongs to God, and our identity is in him. And God is the sustainer of the church. I love this, verse eight. Who will sustain you to the end for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ? God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God ultimately plants churches. God ultimately oversees them. God ultimately unplants churches. It's all under him. He is our sustainer. He is the church's sustainer. The church belongs to God. Two other quick things. The second is this, big theme. Christ is the cornerstone of the church. The church belongs to God. Christ is its cornerstone. Nine verses here, 1 Corinthians 1 through 9, which is what we're preaching today. In nine verses, Jesus is mentioned nine times. Nine times in nine verses, Paul has to let them know, I am Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, um, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Jesus. Nine times in those nine verses, he talks about Jesus because Jesus is the cornerstone. You are a Christian today, not because you decided to be one one day, but because Jesus gave himself up and saved you. That's why. That's the only way we can be Christians is because of what Christ has done. So Paul comes in and he says, let me remind you of the most important thing. And that is this, the gospel. The gospel is the most important thing. It's the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone. The gospel is right in the middle. Everything we do, we talk about the gospel of all these sections and all these crazy moments with Corinthians, and there are several, Paul always responds to them with the gospel. He never tells them what I for sure would tell them. He never tells them, stop, you are crazy. You are acting crazy. You need to go on ahead and shut it down. You are not a church anymore. Everybody probably needs to disperse, move to the four corners of the earth. That's, if I would have written 1 Corinthians, it would have been one sentence. It is over, period. <laughs> I'd have said, let's get a meeting together. You, need to, I don't, you don't just need to read this. You need to hear from me just how over it is. It's over. But Paul comes in and he gives them the gospel. He says, no, no, no. Don't, you got this wrong, here's why. He reaffirms them. He said, God loves you, you are Christ, you belong to him. It's crazy right now, but you do belong to Christ. Divisions in the church, 
gospel response to him is leaders are servants. They say, I'm Apollo, I'm of Apollo, I'm a, I'm a Paul. Massive divisions, Paul says, no, no, leaders are servants. The church is not about you, it's about Christ. We're all under Christ. Sexual immorality, chapters five through seven. The issue was this, God's grace allows me because it's so great and because we get grace so much. That was Corinthians, were proud of how much grace they got. They just let a man sleep with his mother-in-law. I'm sorry, his stepmother. They just let him do it. Everybody in the church knew about it. And the Corinthians celebrated how gracious they were. And Paul says, no, you can't do that. The human body matters. Gospel. He says, we're not merely people of soul. Jesus gave up his physical body so that your soul and physical body might be glorified and redeemed in eternity. What you do with your body matters. Your body is not separate from spirit. There was an issue with food. They were talking about eating meat offered to idols, some weird stuff. It's, we don't really mess with that too much today. Should we eat meat offered to idols? I mean, there was a big cultural division at that point. Some said yes, some said no, some said it doesn't matter. But here's what Paul tells them. Eat meat offered to idols, don't eat meat offered to idols, it doesn't matter. But what you need to do is stop thinking about yourself. The question you need to ask is, what does this look like to somebody who's outside of the church? Love, that's the gospel. Jesus welcomes the outsider. Church gathered, the gathering of the church people, what we do on Sunday mornings in chapters 11 through 14, it was crazy, it was chaos. They had really bad takes on the spiritual gifts. People would just be blurting out tongues with no interpretation. And Paul comes in and says to them, I love this. In a crazy, hyper-charismatic, over-spiritualized church, you know how Paul tells them to remedy that? He says, you should desire the spiritual gifts. I pray that you will desire them, especially may prophesy. However, tongues, stop doing it. This is foolishness. This makes the outsider feel crazy. His gospel response to the church gathered is people that thought they were spiritually superior and kept like saying, giving all their big spiritual thoughts and opinions, I'm more close to God than you are. I've got more of the spirit than you do. Angel worship, and it was weird, man. I'm telling you, you don't, it's about to get wild. Paul comes and says, no, 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 no. There's one body. It has many members. Jesus is the head of the body. Desire the gifts, but submit to Jesus and one another. The gospel is imperative, man. Christ is the cornerstone of the church. When we start to forget the gospel, we start to forget Jesus. You know what starts to happen? We're not a church anymore. We're just a social gathering. The third thing so important, grace is the centerpiece of the church. Again, the problems in this church are astounding. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were wild. Here's a few. Spiritually arrogant. There were divisions in the church. The whole book, actually. Celebrating a man who was sleeping with his stepmother. We talked about this in chapter five. Uh, church members were suing one another. Chapter, suing one another. Chapter six. They were convoluting marriage, singleness, 
and divorce, etc. Convoluting those three things for sure. Chapter 7 and 10. Uh, there was sexual promiscuity and then sex with prostitutes we read about in chapter 6. Uh, then this one's kind of interesting. Somehow, some way, they found enough time and wine to just keep getting drunk at the table at communion. Let me just go on ahead and say that again. These people were getting drunk at communion. <laughs> I would assume they didn't have the little cups like we have because that would take a long time, but, you know. They were neglecting the poor, abusing the gifts of the Spirit, particularly the use of tongues. It was crazy, free-for-all worship service with no order or authority, everybody interrupting each other, chaos with the gifts. They were theologically... Um, illiterate really but they just disregarded the theology that they knew they questioned the resurrection of, of the dead there was lots and lots and here comes Paul the way that he responds is grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Paul tells them this don't even act like a single one of us in this room would say it this way he says this to them I give thanks to my God always for you I give thanks to God always. I don't, it's hard for me to give thanks to God for the stuff that I really like. I give thanks to my God always for you. And you know why? Here's what it says. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. The bottom line is this, is that I love you because of grace. Paul, no doubt, is remembering the grace that God had on him. You know about Paul, the apostle? Paul's name used to be Saul. Saul's job, Paul, same guy. His job before Jesus was to persecute the church and he killed Christians. There was a story about this man named Stephen who was a part of the early church. And Saul, Paul now, but formerly Saul, was sent out by, which is crazy to think about, religious leaders are the one that sanctioned him and funded it. He said, go, Jews, go, kill, go do it. Go, kill, get rid of the church. So Saul sets out, and there's a story about Stephen, who was a deacon in the church. And Stephen is being put, about to be put to death. He preaches the gospel and he's stoned to death in the middle of it. And Saul was standing over his body. The same guy that stood over Saul's dead body and celebrated is the same guy that is now an ambassador for one of the craziest churches of all time. Paul, the former accuser of the church, is now its biggest champion. How does that happen? Grace. Grace. God interrupted Paul. Jesus came to him on the road to Damascus, changed his life. You know what Jesus said to Paul? Why do you persecute me? Saul's going around persecuting the church. Jesus says, why do you persecute me? This is my body. These are my people. I am jealous for them. And let me tell you, I feel that. That's what I feel with the Corinthians is the jealousy that God has for his people. 
As I'm reading this and preparing, I'm like, I'm ashamed of the way that I know I would have responded. And I get just a glimpse, just a little bit of God's heart for his church. He loves his church. He is jealous for her. He fights for the church. Crazy and all. God loves his church. And because God loves the church, Paul loves the church. Paul's a member of the church. Paul was way worse than the Corinthians back in his day. The Corinthians weren't killing Christians. Paul used to be the biggest accuser. And now he's the biggest ambassador. And he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. How many of us stand today as accusers at times? How many times us in this room are just culturally speaking? I mean, there's podcasts now about the brokenness within the church. I'm being serious. It's a serious matter. How many of us have accused the church, church leaders? I'm, t- I'm preaching to myself. How many of us have said, no, 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 the church is messed up, it's leaders, it's, it's not right? How many of us maybe in this room have thought, I need to go and do something else? I need to go and do my own thing? I think I could do it better than the church? How many of us have said that? Man, and look, I, trust me, there are such things as abuse in this world. There's no doubt about it with leaders. And there are such things as churches being really hateful, and there's some of you in the room that have experienced that in a very real way, and my heart is with you. That is wrong. I want you to hear me say it. But I want to challenge us today. Let's not get caught up in the cultural stream of just pointing the finger at the institution that God himself drew the blueprint for, the church. And he is passionate about his church. God loves his church it's fierce. Paul loves these people because Christ loves these people. And that truly is the tie that binds for the church. This book is going to teach us a lot. The thing that it's teaching me in this moment, to be honest with you, is just how good and overwhelming the grace of God is, even for people that act a fool. And maybe even especially for those people because you're one of them and so am I. Let's stand together.